Well, good morning, IBC family. After the um, receptivity that you gave to our guest speaker last week, I just felt it necessary. We're just going to keep doing guest speakers from here on out. So... Um, because uh, it, it was received so well. So anyways, I'm, that's totally kidding. But at the same time, thank you so much for being such a great host family to our uh, guest speaker last week. And uh, this Sunday, this morning, is no exception to the treat or the, the, the feast that we are going to partake in together. Um, this morning, we have the opportunity to have uh, our dear brother in Christ. We've talked about him before, all in good, all good things, Dan. Um, we've talked about him before, but this is the first time that he's had the opportunity to uh, come and be used by God to speak to us and deliver uh, an incredibly important message for all of us. Last year, he was on the, the schedule to preach uh, last, last July, I think it was, and uh, things happened. His wife had emergency surgery. He had a bug out of here, and we made some quick, flexible, audible decisions in the moment, and God is glorified. And then this year, it worked out so perfectly for him to be able to come up. So he and his wife, Tracy, came up. They've been here the last couple days. Uh, if you were at the marriage seminar on Friday, then you got already the chance to hear them share about their life and how it all began, as well as what the Lord's been doing in their life. But this morning, we had the opportunity to sit under uh, his teaching and as he presents uh, an, a vital message for us all. Let me just kind of give a quick backdrop to who he is. Uh, Dan Stevenson it used to be uh, the board chairman for ZimZam Global. We all know ZimZam Global. It's one of our very close, tight-knit partnerships that we have. He, has been, he was the board chairman up until two years ago, and now he is one of the trainers with his wife, and they go all over the world to do trainings with ZimZam Global. He is almost a retired lawyer, uh, so that means next month he's retiring officially. He's traveled all over the country doing lawsuits, and uh, he's almost done so he can pursue full-time ministry, and that has been the, the, the desire that the Lord has put on his heart, and so it's really exciting. He's already been doing ministry, but now he's going to be uh, uninhibited. Um, some really fun facts. They've been married for 42 years this year. Exactly, 40, 45 years this year. Okay, 40 some odd years this year. <laughs> and, uh, and he's written a, a couple different books uh, just based off his own personal interest, but uh, I got, I've, I've had a chance to read some of the manuscripts of one of them, and it was actually very intriguing. Uh, but uh, fun fact about Dan, uh, he has been a swimmer most of his life and uh, competitive swimming. I'm not talking about synchronized swimming. I'm talking about uh, run, laps back and forth really fast. He swam for UCLA, was the captain of the UCLA team, uh, almost made it to the Olympics, and now he travels all over the world kind of as a side hobby, but uh, still swims competitively in the Masters and has three world records. So there's that. So <laughs> I don't have any world records. So <laughs> I doggy paddle. Anyways, without IBC family, could you give a warm welcome to our brother in Christ, Dan Stevens? Well, uh, thank you for that introduction, Aaron. Um, boy, all of that stuff about swimming and being a lawyer. The only thing that really matters, the thing that gives me the most credibility today is that I'm a friend of Aaron's. 
<laughs> and, and I'm a friend of Pastor Tom Lotz. Yeah. And uh, in fact, I've, been, I've, I've known Tom for about 10 years, I think, and doing ministry together with Zimzam uh, right from the very beginning. Uh, it's been a blessing to have those two guys as, as our brothers. Um, and Tracy and I, we, um, I think we met Aaron in, in India uh, two years ago, uh, doing ministry together with Zimzam. So if that's, if that's all you know about me, forget the other stuff. I'm a friend of Aaron's and a friend of Tom's. Um, the, the other thing, he did say one thing that's relevant, um, and that is that I'm a lawyer, uh, at least for another almost month and a half. Um, in fact, I wore this jacket today. I know preachers don't wear jackets anymore, um, but lawyers do. So I wore this jacket as a reminder to you that that's what I am. I'm not a, I'm not a preacher. I preach occasionally. What I really do, what I've been doing for 42 years is I'm a lawyer, trial lawyer, courtroom lawyer. Um, and that's going to be relevant to what I talk about later. Um, the, the first thing I really want to do, though, is look at this great passage of Scripture. And uh, if I know how to work, the, yeah, there we go. So if you have your Bibles, um, open up to Matthew chapter 9. It's great if you can read along. I'll read the passage. It's kind of short. Uh, and it's also up on the screen. So Matthew 9, starting in verse 36, and we're going to end in chapter 10, verse 1. Here we go. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. And chapter 10, verse 1 says, and he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. What a great passage of Scripture. I hope I can help bring out some of the, some of the great parts of it. Um, I know you're familiar with this passage, and we all we like to talk about sending workers out into the harvest. That's a, that's a key part of what I'm going to talk about today. Um, but there's some other parts of this. Compassion for people who are harassed and helpless that I might be able to shed a little light on. That's my hope. And by the way, you notice that I stopped in chapter 10. I, I, I went right over the chapter division. Um, if you look at chapter 10, verse 1, and compare it to chapter 9, verse 35, you'll see similar language. I think these are, those two verses are bookends. Um, because Jesus is ta- first it's Jesus uh, going out and healing um, every disease and affliction, and then we're talking about the disciples doing it, okay? And that is going to be one of the keys to what we talk about today. But I think, those, I think that verse, 10.1, is connected to what goes before it. Now, um, I want to zero in first uh, on the word compassion. And I want to start with the big picture, and the big picture is always God, Jehovah, God, the Father, 
God of the Old Testament, God of the New Testament. And we know from reading many places in the Old Testament and the New Testament, God the Father is a God of compassion. It's one of his attributes. And you may remember when Moses asked to see the glory of God, God allowed him to be in the cleft of a rock while God's glory passed by. And do you remember what God said to Moses as he was passing by? He said, the Lord, the Lord, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, etc., etc. He was listing his attributes as he walked by, and the very first attribute that he listed was compassion. It's an attribute of God. It, it influences everything he does. God is the source of all compassion. If you have compassion, it came from him. And other verses in the Bible tell us that God is full of compassion. His compassions never fail. And when we talk about the greatness of His compassion is so great that it is bursting at the seams. It's overflowing the top. That's the kind of God we have. That's the compassion of the Bible. Now, let's talk about the compassion that Jesus had because our passage talks about Jesus seeing crowds and having compassion on them. So what is that? What's that compassion? The Greek word for compassion is completely unpronounceable. (laughs) If somebody out there is pronouncing it right now, that person's neighbor should say gesundheit. I'm not even going to try. Forget it. And in fact, it's it's an interesting word because the gospel writers made it up. Um, I don't know if you do this. I do. Um, I sometimes take a noun and turn it into a verb, okay? Tracy will, will back me up on this. Sometimes I say, I'm going, I'm going to broom the floor. Instead of sweep the floor, I'm brooming it. I took a noun and turned it into a verb. Um, and that's basically what the gospel writers did here. That's what Matthew did, and, and the other gospel writers did it too. They created a word that is nowhere seen in any other ancient Greek writings. And the noun that they started with is basically the word for spleen. Spleen. (laughs) And so what they're talking about here, what compassion is, is something that starts right here. Some some translations say your intestines or your... um, In in Acts 1.18, Judas... Uh, went to the potter's field and his intestines burst out. Same word. So we're, we're talking about your guts. It's like compassion is, what, one of the comparison phrases I use is, it's a gut punch. It's a gut punch. It's something you feel in your stomach. It's gut-wrenching. So sorry for the vernacular, but I'm going to use that phrase over and over again. Guts. Um, So, it's to be moved in your stomach, spleen, bowels, and it's a word not used by the ancient Greek writers. 
All right. Now that we know what it is, let's just apply that to Jesus. Think about this. This is, this is one of those areas where we know that God is, or we know that Jesus is fully God and fully human at the same time. So he's got this divine compassion, divine compassion, pure, infinite, overflowing, and, but he's got a human stomach. So can you imagine Jesus going through all the towns and cities of Galilee and, the crowd, and seeing crowds? Everywhere he went, there was a crowd, and he had compassion on them. And by the way, there were over 200 towns and villages in Galilee alone. So town after town after town, crowd after crowd after crowd, Jesus feels this infinite, eternal, overflowing compassion. And how would that affect his finite human stomach? (laughs) I think it would hurt. I think it would hurt. So he was, to me, this is part of what Jesus coming as a sacrifice for us involved. He, He felt it. He felt it. And one of the things he felt was this gut punch in his stomach when he saw the crowds, okay? And by the way, uh, the compassion of Jesus aligns perfectly with the compassion of God the Father. It's proof number 1001 (laughs) that Jesus is divine. Jesus is the Son of God. Okay, now that you know what compassion is, and just remember the gut punch, Let's talk about who Jesus had compassion on, okay? So we're going to go a little further in the passage. And the word that's translated harassed, remember he had compassion on the crowds because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Harassed is this Greek word ekluo, ekluo. And what that word means is to loosen, dissolve, weaken, um, exhaust, to be, uh, um, to be weakened, to, be, to, to grow weak, to, to, uh, to be dis, uh, de, uh, despondent, etc. Um, so that's what this word means. And you know, some of the other tra- translations talk about distressed, dispirited, treated badly, confused, bewildered, Deeply distraught, malaised, um, and uh, and it goes on and on like that. I, say, I hope you're starting to get the picture. Uh, the, the Living Bible says their problems were so great, and they didn't know what to do or where to go for help. That's what Jesus saw every time he saw a crowd, harassed and helpless, and and the word is describing things that would include both physical distress, mental distress, and spiritual distress. And many times those three things are intertwined. So that's what Jesus is seeing, and that's who he's having compassion on. And by the way, do we have people like that today? Do we have people who are harassed and helpless I think so. 
So um, I think I made a list here of the types of people upon Jesus, upon whom Jesus had compassion. This is a collection of verses from other parts of the Bible. Uh, he had compassion on multitudes. He had compassion on the lost, the grieving, sick and disabled, hungry, and crime victims. Uh, you remember the parable of the Good Samaritan. It involves a victim of a crime. And that parable is about compassion. And the parable of the prodigal son is a parable about compassion. So Jesus felt compassion. He encountered it every day. And he also taught about compassion. Compassion was a big deal for Jesus, as it is for God the Father. Now, we talked about what compassion is. We talked about who Jesus had compassion for. And now we want to talk about what Jesus did about it. And I think you're going to know what's coming. You should know already. When I talk about what Jesus did about it, the thing we're going to talk about after that is what are you and I going to do about it? So keep that in mind when we look at what Jesus did about it. Okay. Now, um, this, is just, uh, this slide is just a collection of several things that we know Jesus did once he had compassion. Um, so, for example, we have healing. He had compassion for people who were disabled or had diseases, blind from birth. Uh, he had compassion for people who uh, were... He had compassion for Lazarus and Lazarus's sisters after Lazarus died and he raised Lazarus from the dead. He had compassion on people who had leprosy and he touched them. The man born blind was touched by Jesus. He provided food, fed 5,000 people. He forgave sins. Remember the paralytic who was let down through the roof? He healed him, but he also forgave his sins. And of course, the ultimate act of act of Jesus acting upon his compassion was to die on the cross for us. So these are, these are the things. Jesus didn't just have compassion, he did something about it. And in fact, our passage here, let's go back to it for a second. Our passage here gives us a, uh, I hesitate to use this word, but I, before I went to law school, I studied engineering in college. And uh, so I like words like this. It's a formula, all right? It's a formula. Uh, other people don't look at it that way, and that's fine. But this passage tells us the progression of what happens after you get that gut punch. So it says, um, he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. And there's a three-step progression there. First, he has, he has felt this compassion. He's felt it. 
And then it says, he called his disciples to him and called for prayer. Prayer. Ask the Lord of the harvest. That's prayer. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into the harvest. And then the third thing is he actually sends them. Now, you've probably noticed this before. If you're involved in any sort of ministry, this has happened to you. Pray for workers, and then who's the worker? You. <laughs> At least you're, you're one of the workers, okay? And it doesn't mean don't pray for more workers. But how many times has this happened to you? I pray for workers to be sent into this harvest, and then God says, what about you? What about you? So you go. And that's what the disciples did. So this is the progression. Feel it, pray about it, then act on it. And every time you see Jesus having compassion in the Bible, there's an action that comes from it. And I would say, biblical compassion is a call to action. I'm going to say that again at the very end because I want you to remember that. Biblical compassion is a call to action. Um, Before I talk about you and me, I want to set, set it up by talking about this verse from Colossians. Colossians 3.12, because it's aimed at you and me. So we just talked, we had a passage that talked about Jesus and the disciples. It was a good example. It was a good teaching for us. But this verse talks specifically to us believers, and it says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, Humility, meekness, and patience. So lest you think that compassion is something that you don't get or that you don't act on, that verse is telling you not just that you need to be compassionate, but you need to put on compassion. Like I put on this lawyer jacket. People can see it. People should be able to see your compassion. How are they going to see your compassion? It's a feeling in your gut. Yeah, it's a feeling in your gut, but it always produces action. They're going to see the action. So I believe that this verse is telling us, you and me, that we need to have compassionate hearts and put it on so people can see it. All right. Now's the hard part where I talk about you and me. What does this mean for us? I'm going to talk about me first, uh, but stay tuned. Don't leave. I'm going to talk about you too. Um, So I went to law school, learned how to be a lawyer, set up a law practice with with a large law firm, And I was practicing at first in the state of Michigan. That's where I went to law school and where I graduated and started my law practice. So I was practicing law in Michigan for 25 years. 
And the state bar of Michigan, which gives you the license to practice law, they had a rule that said all lawyers in the state of Michigan must work 50 hours of pro bono work every year. Pro bono work is for the good of the public, and it's basically you work for free. You work for people that can't pay you, so you work for free for the public good. Now, uh, the State Bar of Michigan had a loophole in this requirement uh, that you could drive a truck through, and it was basically that if you didn't want to work those 50 hours, you could just pay $500 to the state bar, and you would satisfy that requirement. So all lawyers did the math, (laughs) and uh, as a result, uh, most lawyers, and I was one of them, did zero pro bono work and just grudgingly paid the money. I did that for 25 years. And then, in 2008, I met a girl who changed my life. A teenage girl from Mexico. And what happened was, I was a panelist at one of these lawyers' conferences where you had lawyers on the panel and lawyers in the audience talking about lawyer stuff. And the guy next to me was talking about human trafficking. In 2008, I had not ever heard that expression before. I didn't know what it was. And I heard him talk about it, and I was appalled. I felt something in my stomach. And I said to that guy, you know what, Uh, I'm against that. And he said, would you take a case? And I said, sure. And a month later, I met Angela. That's not her real name. Angela was a victim of human trafficking at the age of 13. And I'm going to spare you a lot of the details. I see we still have some kids out in the the crowd. Uh, You don't really need to know the gory details. They are gory. Uh, They are horrific, what happened to this 13-year-old girl. And she was... Um, brought out of it by the FBI in Texas. She'd been brought across the border from Mexico to Texas and put into a human trafficking situation. They didn't catch all the perpetrators, and so they had to send her far away for her safety. They couldn't even send her back to Mexico because the perpetrators would come and get her there and put her back in to this trafficking. And that happens a very large percentage of the time. So they sent her far away, and the place they sent her to was Detroit, Michigan. They sent her to Detroit for her safety, which is a little bit ironic. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But that's where I met her, because that's where I was practicing law at the time. And so when I met Angela, when I looked into her eyes, which was hard 
because she was constantly looking down at the floor. But when I looked into her eyes and when I I heard her, her horrific story, I felt the gut punch. I felt the gut punch right here in my stomach. And it was very uncomfortable. But I I quickly realized that I was now seeing something that Jesus saw when he looked at the crowds and saw that they were harassed and helpless. That's what Angela looked like, harassed and helpless. I was seeing what Jesus saw. I was feeling what Jesus felt. It was a... It was an image of God kind of moment for me. <clears throat> and it, ch- it changed my life. <clears throat> so I helped Angela. Angela was, <clears throat> she needed a lawyer for two things. One was, she'd been brought across the border illegally. Um, it wasn't her fault. She'd been trafficked across the border. And, and the U.S. government has a, a, a visa for people like that, but it's very hard to get, and they grant very few of them. You need to have a lawyer to do it. Most trafficking victims can't get a lawyer. They can't go through that process, but Angela did it with my help. And uh, I just talked to Angela last um, year, a few months ago. So this is now, she was trafficked in 2008, I talked to her in 2023, 15 years later. Angela still lives in Detroit. She speaks English now. She didn't speak a word of it before. She graduated from high school. She got her visa, then she got a green card, and now she's a citizen of the United States. She's married She has a five-year-old daughter, and I was invited to the birthday party last year, (laughs) but I couldn't go. But to me, Angela's story is a story of redemption. It's a story of what the Bible is all about, people being redeemed out of slavery, different forms of slavery. But my role in that was minuscule. In my view, Angela was the one who really stuck with it. And God is the one who redeemed her. Um, And so, this was a life change for me. And I'll just tell you how it changed my life. I finally realized why God sent me to law school (laughs) 25 years later. My law degree, my law license, was a gift from God. And if you look at 1 Peter 4.10, it says, whatever gift you've gotten from God, use it to serve others as a faithful steward. I hadn't seen it before. Now I saw it. This is a gift. Use it to serve others as a faithful steward. I didn't have much to bring to Angela's case. I didn't know the first thing about trafficking, immigration law, all that stuff. I had to learn it as I went along. But I I brought it 
I brought my loaves and fishes out and put them on the table, and God multiplied them. And I just felt like that was part of God's calling on me. That was the reason he had me go to law school. Um, it was really a, a new part of who I saw myself as, as a Christian and a lawyer. <clears throat> so from that, I took more cases like Angela's. Um, <clears throat> I did other different kinds of work in the field of human trafficking. I took more and more and more. I became an expert in it. I trained dozens of other lawyers how to do it, recruited them into that field. And so when I came to the point where I could see retirement on the horizon about three or four years ago, I went to my law firm and I said, uh, in my final couple years of practicing law, I want to do this full time. You don't have to pay me. That's what pro bono is all about. You don't get paid. So for the last three years, that's what I've been doing exclusively. And now that I actually have a retirement date, (laughs) I like to tell people I'm too busy to practice law anymore. Um, I'm trying to do more ministry. I want to take my expertise, my experiences in human trafficking, and take them from the lawyer realm and put them into the ministry realm. And I'll just tell you that one of the reasons I want to do that is because I believe that we, as believers, we, as a church, can do more to fight against human trafficking than lawyers can do. I firmly believe that, and so I want to put my eggs in the basket of where it's going to have the most impact. And that's ministry. That's church. So I put a slide up here. You're probably wondering... What language is that? Um, This is actually a slide um, from one of our ZimZam global trainings. So one of the ways I'm taking my human trafficking expertise into the ministry realm is through ZimZam global. And by the way, uh, you guys have been awesome supporters of ZimZam global almost, I think, really from the very beginning. Um. I love it. I'm so honored to be in this church because I know what you've been doing over the years. Thank you. Thank you for your support of ZimZam. And I just want, I know you know a lot about ZimZam already. I just want to tell you a little piece that you might not know. And hopefully it'll encourage you and inspire you. And that, that is this, that ZimZam... <clears throat> is involved in the fight against human trafficking. What does ZimZam do? Well, this is a slide from one of our trainings. We have a a module, we have a training session where we train pastors who want to plant churches. Where are these pastors who want to plant churches? They're in India, Nepal, South Africa, other parts of Africa, South America. Some of you have been to Ecuador with ZimZam. Aaron was in India when this slide went up on the screen. Tom was there as well. Um, So ZimZam teaches pastors who want to plant churches that your church can be a refuge against human trafficking. 
Your church can be a refuge against human trafficking. And then we talk about how that is. So the, the next few slides, I'll go through them pretty quickly, but these are actual slides from trainings that were held with ZimZam. And this is from one that occurred uh, one and a half years ago in uh, West Bengal, India, literally in the jungle in India. Human trafficking is slavery. Uh, I'm kind of mixing into my vocabulary the word slavery, modern slavery. It's a modern version of slavery. And the reason I'm doing that is because the phrase human trafficking sounds too soft. It really does not describe the horrors. It does, it does not, it's too euphemistic. It doesn't fully describe the, the incredible evil that human trafficking is. So I sometimes mix in the phrase modern slavery. Human trafficking is slavery. And so this, is, this next bit of information, there are millions of slaves in the world today. They do their best to, to estimate how many. Every year the number goes up. It's growing. The latest estimate says 50 million. 50 million slaves in the world today. More than ever before in human history. Some people are shocked by that. We thought slavery was abolished. We thought slavery was a thing of the past. It's not. It just took a different form. And in fact, it's growing. More slaves alive today than ever before in human history. It is one of the great evils of our time. It's vast. And what's done to the victims it punches you in the gut. It's horrific. Who are the victims? Well, disproportionately, the victims are women and children. Women and children. 71, 71% are female, women or girls. One third are under the age of 18. And another one-third are between the ages of 18 and 25. So that's disproportionate. Now, fortunately, Zimzam trains, teaches people how to plant churches that are focused on those age groups, the younger age groups. Build churches upon the foundation of children. Minister to the children provide a safe refuge for the children. So, by planting a healthy church, you're providing safety for the children and the other vulnerable people in your community. Okay? The Bible, in my view, and I've studied this forward and backwards, the Bible condemns what we call modern slavery. If you look at Genesis, I know you're, in, you're studying Genesis right now, right? Okay, this is, my, this is my time to fit in. Genesis chapter 50, but it really starts in Genesis chapter 37. It's what happened to Joseph, his brothers beat him up, threw him in a well or a cistern, sold him to some passing Ishmaelites, who then took him across a border 
to another country, Egypt, and then sold him again into slavery. Joseph was a slave, enslaved by his brothers. And by the way, that happens today too. A lot of human trafficking happens because of family putting the people into it, putting their mothers, putting their children in, uncles abusing girls. So Joseph was the victim of what we would call today human trafficking, sold for money, had to work as a slave. But, but, Genesis 50 verse 20 says, when, when Joseph talked about it later with his brothers, he said, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. So, Two things that we learn from that. Number one, human trafficking is evil. And number two, God can redeem people. And that's where we come in. That's where we come in. And uh, I'm actually going to skip over uh, here. Write it down. Look at this verse. First Timothy 1, verses 9 and 10 talks about enslavers, enslavers, uh, among, in a list of people who are evildoers, okay? And uh, the, uh, the ESV note on that one says, that is, those uh, who take someone captive in order to sell them into slavery. That's human trafficking. The Bible condemns it. And that, the, I'm giving you two examples out of probably a couple dozen in the Bible that I take as biblical condemnations of what we would call today human trafficking or modern slavery. The Bible condemns it. It is evil. It is Satan run amok in this world. We are fighting against principalities and powers. It's a spiritual battle. So the Bible condemns it. Um, Where does it exist? Some people would say, well, we don't have it here. Um, Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. You have it right here. You have it close by. You have it in your state. You have it in your country. We have it in California. It's all over. And this is a map of where the worst places in the world are. And you can the, 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 the darker colors, the orange and the red, kind of show. And Africa is pretty bad, kind of a hot spot. India, Nepal, Afghanistan, that part of the world. And those are the places where Zimzam, this is a slide from a Zimzam presentation. Those are the places where Zimzam goes. And we've put on trainings in the slums of Nairobi. We've put on trainings in the jungle in India. We put on trainings in extremely poor, like mud huts type of places, villages in Tanzania. And these are the places where human trafficking is flourishing. So we go to the hot spots and we train the pastors there to plant churches that will be a refuge for children and others who are vulnerable to human trafficking. 
This is also a slide from ZimZam. What can a church do? A church can provide a refuge for children, can remove vulnerability, uh, and provides a community of people who are watching out, not just for the kids, but for the others who are vulnerable to human trafficking, both within the church and outside of it. So that's how, that's how a healthy church can help fight against human trafficking. And so this is, what, this is the quote. This is what I put into the ZimZam training materials. The first line of defense against human trafficking is church planting. Plant a healthy church in a slum, in a poor village, in, a, in the jungle. Plant a healthy church in the middle of a human trafficking hotspot, and you will be fighting against the greatest scourge in modern society. And when I teach that, when I train those pastors who want to plant churches in those places, they're ready to go. Do you want to do that? Yes, we do. Because they see it. They see it right there in their communities. We want to do something about that. What can we do? Go plant a healthy church. Here's a slide that is not from ZimZam. I created this slide just for you. What can a church in America do? Well, it turns out there's a lot of things. And I think you're going to be hearing more about this as time goes on. I heard a lot about it yesterday because I met with some folks here who have this passion to fight against human trafficking. And I think your church is going to do some things. Um, So these are the things that, that a church can do in America. Raise awareness. Train people. Like internet safety. Because a lot of trafficking comes through the internet. People are lured into trafficking by the internet. Teach, train, especially the youngsters, teenagers. Um, Partnering with nonprofits who are already in the fight. That's what a church can do. Giving, volunteering, prevention, teaching prevention, how to pre- how, teaching people what traffickers do to acquire their victims. When people know that and they see it happening around them, they can guard against it. Church can help. Survivor care and mentoring, it's huge. When people come out of a trafficking situation, they need a place to stay that same night. They need a ton of things immediately because they have nothing coming out of a trafficking. Can a church step in there? Yes. And there are some very specific ways a church can do that. So um, my point here is not to tell you what to do, but to tell you there are things you can do. You decide. And here are, are, here's a list of reasons why a church should get involved. We're called to do it. I firmly believe that the Bible calls us to fight against this, one of the greatest scourges, evils of our modern society. The Bible calls us to do it. We're equipped to do it. We can get more equipped. We're uniquely resourced, positioned, and empowered to do it. It will strengthen the church. It will strengthen you, believers, to get involved in this fight. 
And if you're like me, you feel that punch in your gut, the compassion comes on you, it's almost like you don't have any choice. I'm compelled to action. And now that I have seen in Angela's eyes, now that I've been involved in in her situation, my life has been changed, I will not stop fighting against trafficking until I take my last breath. Lord willing. So, compassion compels us to get involved. Um, I keep saying that I'm going to talk about, um, about you, talked about me. Um, this is my last slide, by the way. Um, I have spent more time in the pews than in the pulpit. I'm not a preacher. I'm a lawyer. I've sat out there. I know what you're thinking. I know what, I, what I'd be thinking if I heard some guy talking about this stuff. I, first of all, I would say, that doesn't apply to me because of X, Y, or Z. So first of all, I would look at this guy up, on the, up in the pulpit and I would say, well, he's, he's special. He's got some extra kind of super compassion that other people don't have. I'm not a naturally compassionate person. That's what you're, that's what you're thinking, Right? Maybe, some of you. (laughs) Well, that's why I wore this jacket. To remind you who I am. I'm a lawyer. Lawyers aren't compassionate. (laughs) Have you ever heard of a compassionate lawyer? Come on. It's not in our DNA. And if it were in our DNA, they trained us out of it. They trained us how to be cutthroat. That's what lawyers are. So I'm not some special guy with a lot of compassion. I'm just somebody who said yes when they said, would you take a case? And that led to many dominoes falling. That's all I did was say yes. I felt it, I prayed, I acted. So that excuse is no good. Um... Another excuse would be, I'm not a lawyer, what can I do? Sure, you can take a pro bono case. You can represent victims in court. You can do all these things as a lawyer, but what can I do? I don't have any skills. Ah, that's where the next story comes in. So this uh, person in the slides and the pictures is Minu. Her name is Minu, and she lives in Kathmandu, Nepal. Uh, And uh, Tracy and I have been to Kathmandu and other parts of Nepal twice in the last two years. Just got back in November, saw Minu. Minu made some shirts for us, for ZimZam. Minu is not a lawyer. She knows how to sew. That's her skill. So what Minu does, she's developed a ministry around her ability to sew. She takes in 10 at a time what she calls rescued women, 
They're rescued out of extreme poverty, abuse. It could be trafficking situations, other things. She takes them in and teaches them how to sew. They stay with her for, I forget how long it is, five weeks, five weeks at a time, five months at a time. They learn how to sew. They learn how to sell the things that they've sewn. They learn kind of basic life skills. They get, they get lodging and food from Minu, and they hear the gospel every day. And she takes them to church. Most of them that come in are not Christians. Most of them that go out are Christians. So you don't have to be a lawyer <laughs> to fight human trafficking or to fight against the other things that people are vulnerable to. She just has a skill that she brought out, put on the table. She brought out her loaves and fishes and let God multiply them, which is really all I did. My lawyer degree, my lawyer skills. Bring out your loaves and fishes. Let God use them. We, were, uh, we talked about human trafficking in a church in Southern California uh, a couple weeks ago, and the people came up afterwards and they said, I want to help. I'm a graphic artist. That's my skill. I'm a graphic artist. Can you use me? Answer, yes. My skill is in marketing. Can you use me? Answer, yes. My skill is in making money. (laughs) That's a great skill, provided you do the right thing with the money you make. Can you use my skill? Yes, I can. So the notion that you don't have the skills to get in this fight is wrong. You do. Every single person in here has some skill that they can put on the table for God to multiply. So... Let me, just, uh, let me just close off by saying, I know that I, I actually have a whole long list of other excuses that you could be making, <laughs> and I have answers to all of them, just like I had answers to these couple. No, you can do this. You can do this. If you feel it, if you feel it, that's a call from God. If you feel compassion for the victims of human trafficking, that's a call from God. It's a call to action. So that's what I want you to remember about this passage of Scripture. All of this is generated by the Word of God. The Word of God condemns the greatest scourge that we see in society today. It's condemned by the Word of God. And we are called compassion, have compassion, wear it like a lawyer's jacket. Wear your compassion so other people can see it. And that means put it into action. So remember this from this passage. Compassion is a punch in the gut that's a call to action. When you feel it, pray about it. Pray for workers in the harvest. And then be prepared to be one of those workers. Let's pray. Father, I want to pray that prayer right now for this church, for myself.
for every person in here, send workers into this harvest because the field is ripe. We need workers, especially believers and churches, to go out and fight against human trafficking. And we pray, Father, that you will direct us, that you will open the doors, that you will send workers, including some of us, out into that field and equip us like you equipped the disciples. Equip us to do your work. Multiply our loaves and fishes as we lay them out for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Dan. Hey, Tracy, would you stand up? Nobody's gotten to see you. This is Tracy, his wife. Yes. We've gotten to know them, Pastor Aaron and I have, this fine couple. She is a two-edged sword. She is scary sharp. I've heard her say to her husband, try to keep up. I love it. I love it. And what a great thing it is to have you guys here with us. Thank you so much. IBC family have two verses I'm reminded of in, in this, with this topic that is sobering. It is tough. And the more we have dug into this, the darker it has become, to be honest with you. I'm reminded of Colossians 1.13. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. That's what this represents. And we get to be a part of that rescue mission. As those who have been rescued, it is again the gospel message that transforms. And there are practical ways to be a part of that. The second verse, Romans 12.1. I beseech you, brothers and sisters, by God's mercy, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing unto God, which is your, reason, your reasonable service, your act of service, an uh, act of worship to God is what that is. And so I, I want to tell you the fact that Dan spoke this day is by God's hand obviously to us, who are behind the scenes and so forth. This was ordained by God to happen today. God is on the move in ways that are goosebumpy. <laughs> I won't tell you all the things because we'll be here another half hour. We're not looking for that. But I will tell you that in June, when our team went to Ecuador, one of our team members was Sean Homan, who is with ZimSam Global that helped orchestrate our, our uh, food packet event back in January last year. She was on that trip with us. And so she being with ZimSam Global, Randy McIntyre was talking to her, and this subject came up of human trafficking and how ZimZam Global is addressing that to a degree. And she has training in that area. In fact, her college degree has something to do with that. So when we got back from that trip, she goes, Tom, can we get together? So we talked, and it was about, what's going on? What does ZimZam do about this and so forth? Somebody else got a hold of me that was not on that team, said, hey, I'd like to talk about human trafficking stuff. Somebody else got a hold of me and said, wait a minute. There's pings going on here in this area. And I'm going, Lord, are you doing something? 
So we called a meeting with all those who we've been having conversations with, and we got together and said, okay, what's going on? We have now met five or six or so times, and this was supposed to be COTN here this week. Sometime back, they pulled out. Pastor Aaron and I were talking, what about Dan? Yeah, Dan. And, and so that's why this has happened, but there's more to come, and I'm not going to go any further in that. So I'm going to invite, though, Randy McIntyre to come on up. She's the fearless leader of this team that is being formed, and she's going to share a little bit about that. Right on. Okay. Can you all hear me? Okay. Um. Yeah, Tom described that pretty accurately. It's been very exciting to see how the Lord has been stirring the waters and orchestrating things together. Um, So I have some things to share with you. In light of Dan's talk, um, I just want to preface everything that I'm about to say with this. If you are feeling that gut punch, like he described it, that nudge, that desire to do something, Please do not ignore that. The the victims of human trafficking or the people vulnerable to it desperately need a voice and protection. Um, So you might be feeling, what what can you do? We have some three action steps, actually, um, that you can do now and that you can do in the very near future. One is please pray. For your involvement over this, pray for our community um, and the ministry here that's being developed, as well as human trafficking and its its effects globally. Um, Tom mentioned, kind of more locally, that we have this committee that's developed. We've been meeting pretty regularly over the last several months. Um, We've been researching and connecting with uh, professionals in the community who might have uh, firsthand experience with what it looks like here. So we've been learning a lot about what it looks like here. Um, and we've met with people like Dan and Tracy who have been able to speak some insight into how we can mobilize the ministry here um, through IBC. On that note, you might notice some tables over here. We have our team um, this committee that Dan mentioned, sorry, that Tom mentioned. Uh, We're going to be down in front after the service today. Uh, We have these little clipboards. If you're interested in just staying in communication with us and how things develop, we would just love your contact information. You're not signing up for anything. Um, It's just a way of knowing that you're interested. If you have already the Lord has given you something that's come to mind about how you can participate in this. We would love to hear that, um, or for just follow-up information on things to come. Um, I would love for you to be able to see our team's faces, because it's kind of a big church. We don't all know everybody's name and face. Um, So if you're here, please come take your place. Um, So myself... Emily Johnston is co-chairing this committee with me, Um, Tom Lotz, Beth Carey, Sandy Giles, Rob DeCoo, Jessica Orovitz, and then from SQUIM we have Darren Sweeney, who's the global director for Hope 61, and uh, Jordan Rich. 
So you can find some of us down here at the end of service if you'd like to connect. Um, Lastly, as it affects locally and globally, we have a training coming up. Um, Darren Sweeney, again, the Global Director of Hope 61. Uh, Myself, Rob DeCou, and Jordan Rich, we are um, Hope 61 Prevention Trainers. We're giving a training March 9th from 10 to 4. Um, It's in the Fellowship Hall. Lunch will be provided. We're going to cover what trafficking is, several different forms of it, as well as tactics that traffickers use to lure people in. Um, Who is vulnerable to be a victim, a trafficker, and a buyer? Why the church should be involved? And how the church can prevent trafficking, both on an individual level and corporately? Um, Tom mentioned that the more you learn about this topic, it can get darker and heavier, and it is. Um, And it can make you feel like you need to have some sort of big grand skill or ability to make an impact in this, and you don't. So what I love about this uh, Hope 61 training is that we really walk participants through identifying those things in your own life that you might not realize have any value to contribute to our community. Um, Every person, every age, it takes a community to reach a community. Every person in our community has something to offer. And we would love to explore that with you. Um, I'll hand this back over to Tom. But again, we're down here in front. If you guys have any more questions as the days and weeks and months go on. Thank you, Randy. Good job. You can sign up for that training. That is in two weeks. And this is part of the goosebumpy stuff, you guys. This was already on the books. We were going to do this training when it worked out that Dan was going to come two weeks before that training to raise awareness for us, to bring that challenge. And, and here we go. So that is by God's hand. On your way out, you can sign up for the training at the Connect counter or when you get home on your computer, on your phone, uh, the information is right there on the screen. If you want help with that, stop by the Connect counter. They can help you get signed up for that. This down here, is to, if, if you are going, Lord, you're, you're touching me in the gut, sign up down over here. All right, we have little clipboards, as Randy said. Um, yeah. We're just exploring, y'all, what God is doing. That's what's happening, and he is doing something. So just all of us, please, as a, as a, as a uh, church family, let us all continue to put this before the Lord in prayer at all times. I want to just address two other things, kind of family matter stuff. We, I want to just say a very special welcome back to Pam Hannah is with us this morning. Pam, so glad you are here today. Welcome back, sister. Love it. Really good. The other little family matter is we have the newest marriage at IBC with us today, Mr. and Mrs. Jesse and Emily Salgado. Would you guys stand up? Yeah. Two weeks old, baby. Two weeks old. Right on. Love it. Congratulations. 
All right, IBC family, let's stand and we'll close in prayer. Lord, thank you that you are on the throne. You are God and we are not. And you are a loving and you are a compassionate God that has been demonstrated to us. Thank you. Because of your great love and compassion, Christ died for us even while we were yet sinners and lost and separated. Lord, your love and your compassion have been extended to us. Help us to extend that same love, your love to others. But the beautiful thing is, Lord, you didn't ask us to do it apart from you. It is by your spirit in us, flowing through us, that you accomplish these things. So, Lord, we need you desperately as we function in your mission, answering the call, Lord, to get into action, however that might look. But we know, Lord, according to Ephesians 2.10, that you have prepared works for us to do in advance that we would walk in them. So, Lord, help us to be sensitive to your leading. Lord, thank you for this challenge today, this encouragement today, because in these dark stories awaits light, your light, your hope, and your joy. And you've asked us to be a part of that. So, Lord, we give you our lives. We yield ourselves to you. We offer ourselves as a living sacrifice unto you for your glory. Lord, you are great. You are the God of redemption. We marvel at who you are, and you are holy, as we sang earlier. So we give you all praise and all glory. In Jesus' name, amen.